This is Design Safe Radio, where natural hazards researchers strive to make our society more resilient to everything nature throws at us. Okay, welcome to Design Safe Radio. If you've been watching for a while, you're used to seeing me on Zoom with weird, wacky backgrounds, but this is real for once. So I'm super excited to be at the Oregon State University Kinsdale Wave Research Lab in beautiful Corvallis, Oregon, with my good friend Barbara Simpson. Wonderful to see you again. Yes. So really, really glad to um, be able to talk with Barb today. We've been colleagues for, what, five years now or something, I think, since we met, that, met at that first so. summer institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was still a student back then. Oh, so. my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So going to get into all of your background, but you're a structural engineer doing amazing things. Your test is in the wave lab back there in the wave basin, yes. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be talking about all the goodness that you do. Um, but you're a professor at Stanford now. So congratulations. Thank uh, you. The great Thank shift in, in career there. But, um, so welcome. Thanks. Thanks. Happy to be here. Um, so you've got a new award, a career award. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is for folks who aren't familiar with that program? And then what does that mean? So you've got a new appointment, your assistant professor at Stanford. Can you give us a little background of kind of how you got here as a hazard engineer and what does that career award mean for you? Yeah, so the career award is actually a little bit of a different NSF grant because it's associated with both research and education. Um, and so I pitched a research idea that I became really passionate about when I arrived at Oregon State back, back in 2018. And actually, it wasn't really in in my my field. And it was kind of one of those risky bets. I, I became really interested in, in accelerating our, our structural simulations using graphics processors. And I knew absolutely nothing about graphics processors <laughs> at the time or parallel processing. And so I ended up actually taking quite a few courses just to sort of learn myself about parallel processing. And then that evolved into eventually what became my career proposal, which was then supplemented by an educational component that was really focusing on how to involve um, computation and really programming in the structural engineering discipline at the, the in the classroom. Um, and so a lot of our students, particularly those from underrepresented groups, they, they come into these, these analysis courses um, that that have to rely on on programming um, because they just can't be done by hand or if they were to be done by hand that would be extremely inefficient um, so that say so they come into these classes and they they you know they, they say oh I'm but I'm not a computer scientist um, or the you know or I can't do programming and there's this this total um, uh, there, there's this fear surrounding programming and it becomes like instead of a, a logic game or a skill, it becomes something unconquerable. Um, and so a, a good portion of my career award was focused on that, how to address lack of confidence when it comes to programming and computation, specifically when it comes to structural engineering. Wow. Okay. So you've got this awesome career award that's helping, you know, hazard engineers that are getting into the field grapple the beast of Python and SQL and all the other things that make me have headaches because I'm very much there with your, your students of like, this is why I only have a bachelor's degree. I'm like, I am not a computer scientist, not a programmer. I know enough to be conversationally dangerous, but enough to get me into yeah, big trouble. Yeah. So, um, but your, your research focuses more, uh, 
on more than just that programming piece. It's like, okay, what do we use that tool, that yes. skill set for? Yes. And a lot of it has been on this really cool area of soil and structure and how those react to each other. And as we're finding out back here, fluid and structure interaction. So can you talk about how that relates and what that means and how that relates to your, your current research focus? Well, so, so like many structural engineers, my background is in earthquake engineering, and that's where I conducted all of my PhD research. Um, but then when I arrived at Oregon State, and you know, luckily we have these facilities in our background, I, I started thinking more about fluid structure interaction. Um, and then that led me to sort of think about interaction problems in general, which are extremely interesting because they're sort of on that line between disciplines. And so rather than it just being a, a structural analysis problem or even a, a, a mechanics type problem, suddenly you're saying, well, what happens when we have a structure interacting with, say, a fluid where maybe the governing equations are a little bit different? Um, and so for me, I was always interested in multidisciplinary research and, and how do you sort of broaden the applications that that structural engineering can can be applied to. And so when I started looking at fluid structure interaction, it became more of a question of, well, let's let's start out with with bridges and tsunami loading, which is, you know, still kind of in the realm of natural hazards engineering and research, which is where I got my de my degree in. But then let's start looking at just more uh, like for example, floating bodies in general. And so then I, I was lucky enough to be part of a Department of Energy um, grant where we started looking at floating offshore wind turbines. And so then... Which, now we can turn the camera around <laughs> and show you. Like, so this gantry here is part of your, your test rig. Not that gantry, there we go, that, that one. one. <laughs> this one's something else. That one's something else. <laughs> that one's something else. That, that's, that's actually a different department of that, energy. That, that's for, <laughs> yeah, that's for a wave energy converter, not my project. Different so. one. <laughs> this one over here, so the triangular thing I'm pointing at there yes. is part of your test. Mm -hmm. And then we've got the rest of it out there. <laughs> yeah, the, the setup. And so, like, I, I mean, for those in the audience who are structural engineers, um, this is basically a, a forced oscillation test. Um, so there's going to be an actuator set up on that frame, reacting with you know our, our specimen, and then we'll be able to look at more of the the hydrodynamic coefficients um, in a sort of forced oscillation test. So very Chopra 101 for those in the structural engineering community. And for those of us who barely remember fluid mechanics, <laughs> let's see if I can translate. So it's. Yeah, please translate for me because I don't even know fluid. Things in water moving back and forth and yes. how do they interact with each other and with the water and how do you characterize that in math? <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> that was really good. I would say that's that's 99%. Yes. See, I can be conversationally dangerous about these things. But yeah, stick me yeah. actually with the, those Python <laughs> equations and I'm dead in the water. <laughs> no, that's perfect. Yeah. Cool. So, so you're working on the fundamental research itself, and then using this into your work with students of like, hey, this is why you want to do this. You get to go do cool stuff for the rest of your career. Yeah. This is why you want to spend tens of hours figuring out how to do Jupyter Notebooks and Python. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's extremely important because I feel like we all get kind of lost in the methods and the analysis. And then really what we care about is how can we use it to better understand, you know, in this case, floating offshore wind turbines, but it could be the built environment, it could be natural hazards. Like at the end of the day, we're applying it to something that's very useful and is going to ultimately um, push us along in society. Yeah, which gets us very nicely to our, our oh, next topic here of great. 
real-time hybrid simulation. This is a, like one of the first times that we've done this at OSU. That's mostly been a Lehigh thing or, or other uh, universities thing. Um, but you did a real-time hybrid simulation right back here. Well, um, I actually did it in the, 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 the flume. I did it in the, the other one, the other but we're, we're going to do it here. We're going to do, gonna it, do here. it here. Yeah. yeah. We're not going to walk across the hall as cool as yeah. that would be, but yeah. over there behind the wall, we've got a hundred meter long wave flume. That's amazing. Um, so can you talk about, um, what real-time hybrid simulation is for people who don't know what it is and why is that important, especially with mm. what we just talked about, that fluid structure interaction, that you know, structure soil interaction. There's a lot of reasons that is super important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so, you know, traditionally we kind of divide ourselves up into two camps where all they're like the numerical person or we're the experimentalist. And so hybrid simulation tries to take the advantages of both. So if there's something that you understand enough to model it well, that can be housed in a numerical model. And, but if there's a portion of it, maybe you don't really understand that well, then that can be physical. And so the entire idea of hybrid simulation is it hybridizes a physical and numerical sort of subsystem or subassembly, sometimes also called a substructure, and then combined, it represents the complete system. Um, so you take a complete system, partition it into, let's say, two parts, uh, a numerical part and a physical part, and then those things interact between for, with sensors and actuators, um, and then the governing equations of motion or governing equations in general are then applied to that whole system. Um, so in the case of fluid structure interaction, or at least with the, the few applications that I've looked at, um, we were looking at, uh, say, modeling a, a monopile offshore wind turbine. Um, and so we had a, a, a physical cylinder um, that was in our, our large wave flume. And then we were numerically representing um, the soil at the base. Uh, so that was numerical. Um, because you can't get grains of sand small well, enough you, in scale to what you, you got. Could, you could, but that brings practically. up practically. Yeah. Well. Well. So. 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 That's actually a very good point. But so we have the soil that was numerical, but we also had the wind that was numerical, and this uh, yeah. is where the sort of scaling laws that you're bringing up are are very important. And so if you have wind in the same setting as, uh, say, waves. Um, the, the, the typical similitude laws are really incompatible with one another. So with wind, typically you're using Reynolds scaling. Um, and then with the, the waves um, or open channel flow, you're typically using fruit scaling. Oh. And so when you scale those things, two things together, they don't quite match. Like you're scaling different portions of the governing equation. Um, and so with hybrid simulation, you can imagine like the numerical model is at full scale. And it's scaling up and down to sort of communicate with your physical model. And then you get around some of these similitude requirements. So basically kind of for people who aren't familiar with Reynolds and Freud and all that, it's like you have these two different kinds of equations that have different variables in them that some of them don't work at a smaller scale in the same way that the others do. So if you want, say, a 10th scale model of a wind turbine, you scale down the wind to 10th scale, it doesn't work the same way that waves do at 10th scale. Yes, yes, yeah. So basically some of the forces equal zero or equals mass times acceleration. So like some sort of variation on Newton's second law. And so that some of the forces could be a whole bunch of different forces. So it could be the hydrodynamic forces 
plus the aerodynamic forces plus but the wind turbine doesn't care it's just whatever force yes yeah yeah and and so um but those two forces will tend to scale differently as you go down from full scale to small scale um and so we were using hybrid simulation as a way of mitigating that and and this isn't really a, a new idea. Um, so Norway's looked at a lot of hybrid simulation um, for, for floating offshore wind turbines. Um, the idea of applying real-time hybrid simulation in this fluid structure interaction setting was actually a, 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 an unfunded NSF proposal between like me and Jim Rickles at Lehigh and Dennis Israti at, at uh, University of Nevada, Reno. So this is like, I'm not the only person sure, yeah. that was thinking about this. Um, this just ended, I ended up being the person who happened to be here at OSU yeah. who managed to get it into the flume. Yeah, which, I mean, all of that shows that the power of, of being part of a network uh, like Neri, where, I mean, Jim Rickles is at Lehigh, yes. you know, guys can collaborate really closely and share your data on design safe super easily. So he's more than happy for you to get this award and use your data and yeah. help you get it the best you can because it benefits him as well and being part of the same all the same network we're all rowing the same boat in the same direction yes exactly exactly and and in fact so pedro uh who's the director of this lab was very interested in this idea and he was really pushing the envelope on this and pushing pushing me yes, to do it does. and as he does <laughs> he's very fabulous so shout out to pedro um yeah come come visit the consummate host yes yeah yeah so he was really fantastic and and being supportive as like an early career faculty member he was like this is a good idea you should definitely try it um so that was wonderful awesome oh my gosh so um with this whole um test what are you what are you hoping to, to see out of it um as it starts to get into the data collection phase and starting to publish what are you hoping to see well i'm hoping that we'll get a chance to actually see more realistic behavior in these structural systems um so you know, since we are mitigating some of these scaling laws, we're actually able to simulate and experimentally test things that we've never really been able to do before. So I'm hoping that this sort of spawns the creation of, of a number of data sets that can then be used to support validation of more high fidelity computational models. Mm. So we're improving the experiments by supplementing them with a numerical model. And then my hope is that that data then leads us to better numerical models, which I realize is a little bit circular. Um, no, it's part of research. It's, it's, yes, yes, yes. And um, and I, I actually would really like this to be used by more than just me or more than just Oregon State. Um, so I'm hoping that the applications that can be addressed by hybrid simulation also expand um, and we get more researchers sort of involved in this partially numerical, partially physical types of simulations. Yeah, which, you know, with the power of what we've got on, on design safe makes it really easy to do that of being able to publish your numerical model and people can play around with it and yeah. test it in open foam, open seas, all the open things, yes. <laughs> all the tools yes. that are on yeah. there. And then exactly. say, Hey, we don't really understand this one piece. Could we do another physical test? Exactly. Exactly. So, so we would like to reduce reliance on physical testing. Um, but this will give us better enhanced physical tests to better inform our numerical models. Yeah. That's awesome. So making a hard left turn here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> towards, okay. Okay. Uh, more of an existential question to, okay. to wrap up our time. A, a hard question that is even hard to ask, but a one that needs to be talked about, and you're the right person to talk about it with, is okay. for a young woman entering a 
typically male dominated field. Do you have any advice for someone who's maybe a few years behind you, things that you've maybe learned the hard way or things that have gone well and like, yeah, you should try it this way. Um, maybe five, 10 years ago, starting out in your career as an engineering researcher, anything yeah. that you would like to pass along to others who may be listening yeah. and just starting down that road. <laughs> and this, I have to say, is probably the hardest question of the questions <laughs> that you're asking. Um, and it's one that I actually don't get asked very often. So I'm going to give it my best shot. And there's, of course, like a lot of data and people who actually research this type of thing. And I am not I am not one of them. I can only just say that what my personal experience was. You're one data point, um, but a very important data point. Yes, I'm just one data point. And um, I, really, I had a lot of support and I can actually point to that support as the reason I'm here. Um, and so I actually was a research undergraduate student um, at the University of Illinois, like my sophomore year of college. ILL. Yeah, yeah. And so it was like when <laughs> this I- This was the first thing we bonded over, remembering five years ago. I know, oh, yeah. but it was it was really instrumental. And a lot of those programs, um, they, they really try to get a diverse undergraduate student body involved. They flew us to Hawaii to go to a conference, which is really amazing. That's always helpful. Um, and, and actually, I'm, I'm giving a, a talk about this at the Neary Summit next month. But it, it was I, I could point back to that and say, like, well, that's where my interest in structural engineering and natural hazards began. And, you know, being introduced to research at that early age was really instrumental for getting me here. Like, I don't think I would be in academia otherwise. Um, I also had my, my advisor for my PhD um, was just phenomenal. He was just a phenomenal person. Um, and he, he passed away a few years ago. But I, I remember when we were all gathering and to talk about his life, um, one of the other women that, that he was also extremely, uh, he also mentored, was like, no, no one really knows this, but he was he was just extremely like he was so supportive of women and i know that sounds like such a strange thing to say but um it's like i i don't think i would have pursued a phd if he hadn't been as as you know supportive as an advisor during that process so what were some of the things he did that made you feel so supported i mean he was just the the kindest person so you'd show up to a meeting and this is going to make me look terrible but you'd show up to a meeting totally unprepared and, and i've never been to a <laughs> meeting ever and, and you know you're you're presenting like you know whatever you've been doing for the past two weeks or, or however many much time between that and the last meeting and he was just like oh this is just this is so wonderful have you thought about this or have you thought about that he was like an idea generator mm -hmm. um like he was always thinking about like the 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 next idea and like how you could stretch your own ideas and be creative. And, and it's like this work that I knew I hadn't really been perfect on. He was like, Oh, it's great. Like, like you're doing like that, that, that positivity was incredibly mm -hmm. useful for me because then you develop this confidence in yourself that, you know, you don't have to be perfect all the time. Yeah. Um, because one thing I will say, and again, is my personal experience, but, as a woman in engineering, um, I felt like I had to be completely perfect. Like you could not make any mistakes, like you could not fail. Um, because if I did something even even in a small way that that wasn't perfect, then, you know, somehow 
I wouldn't be able to achieve what I wanted to achieve. Um, and I don't think that's a sentiment just to me. I, I've heard that from others as well. So just having an advisor that was like, oh, you didn't prepare and you dropped the ball, but you're still going to be all right is extremely important. Mm. That is awesome. And <laughs> okay, not well, I hope so. oh, okay, no, that's great. good. <laughs> like fostering that growth mindset yes, is huge. Is extremely important. And I, I try to do that with, with my students as well. Um, and it's all about uh, how much you're putting into it and how much passion you're giving something. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily have to be perfect along the way. In fact, it's even better if you fail a couple of times. Yeah, failure is your best teacher. Yeah, because learning you from those experiences. You don't learn a lot when things go according to plan. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, I just really appreciate that. Like, as a dad of two daughters, and I'm going to try and not cry on camera. <laughs> oh, no. But, like, you know. Don't I've make me a, cry either. I've got a six-year-old <laughs> and an almost four-year-old. And yeah. When my six-year-old saw a video of the wave flume before we were moving here, she's like, do we get to go there, Danny? Yeah. I was like, yes. Yeah. I'm going to introduce you to Pedro, <laughs> and it's going to be so great. <laughs> and I want you to be a coastal engineer someday so I can visit you in Hawaii and call it a business trip. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Goals in life. <laughs> yeah. And it's just it's nice and encouraging for, for me as a, as a dad to say, I don't have to be perfect either, but if I get like your advisor – yeah. Just encouraging her to say, hey, you showed up. That's all that's required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, not to say that there's not effort involved sure. or anything like that. And there's standards that you met and yeah, yeah. and that's great. I mean, you have to be passionate, but it's um, <laughs> it's some, something I've learned. Dropping the ball a few times is is not going to kill you. In fact, it's, I think, part of life. Yeah, so. it's it sounds like it's the way in which you drop the ball and respond to it afterwards. Yes. It's all about the mindset of saying, well, I'm not going to fail that way again. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll fail a different most way. <laughs> most definitely. Um, and we were actually, so I'm coming from a conference and, and um, yesterday we wrote on, like we wrote all the times we failed and like, I know this is, cool. I mean, what, as someone else said, it was extremely cathartic, um, yeah. but we write what we failed and like how we noticed it and then what we'll do to fix it. And mm -hmm. I, I think a mark of like a really great failure is that, you know, you're able to not do it again, or, you know, you n recognize when a failure actually means that you're limiting yourself or it means that, well, I just couldn't do this because I had too many things, mm -hmm. but I was able to do this other thing because I dropped the ball this one time. It, it teaches you a lot about research too, because if you're not pushing the envelope, you're not failing. Yeah. Like exactly. Rather the other way around. If you're not failing, yeah. you're not pushing the envelope. Well, which, yeah. <laughs> I understood what you mean. Yeah. So <laughs> being exposed to that early on in your career of hey, this is a good thing because if you want to get into research, you're going to need to learn how to get through failure a lot because that's what research is. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for your courage in sharing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, that. like I said, not a question I usually answer, but that's why uh, I asked. <laughs> no, I'm glad I'm glad that it's a question that's being brought up more and more. I think it's actually really helpful to to talk about it because um, I actually really love being a woman in engineering. I think it's like where I was meant to be, mm -hmm. and like the more women that we have, I think I think, and the more you know our, the diversity of of engineering as a whole reflects the diversity of this country. I think that ultimately is going to lead to better ideas, um, more fun, um, and just more interesting perspectives. So, hundred percent. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here today. And Thank you for being here in person. Oh my yes, gosh! Yes, <laughs> we're in person. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Um, really anything, in person, in the lab. <laughs> in the lab with your test in the wave basin. Yeah. And yeah. like, this is just the best. So anything else you want to share um, with folks watching, listening before no. we, we head out? No, um, no, I think that was, that was great. That was great. Come to the summit next month. You get to see your talk. <laughs> yeah, I will be talking about this next month. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, where can people follow along with your research? Uh, I do have a website. Um, I think it's kind of cute. So, simpsoba uh, at, at wordpress.com. It's like a mixed Very mashup clever. between. It's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I try to post semi regularly, um, but it also does link to my Instagram account for all of the young students who I don't really follow Instagram, but apparently it's the thing to do. <laughs> Um, so you'll see like all the updates on experiments and, and things of that nature. Great. We'll make sure to post, post notes, um, links to that in the notes. Words are hard. Um, thanks again for being here and okay. uh, looking forward to seeing you again sometime. Yeah, thanks. This was great. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Design Safe Radio. This show is sponsored by the National Science Foundation, grant number 2129782. You can subscribe to Design Safe Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find your podcasts. Please leave us a review so that we can improve the show and also help others find our episodes in iTunes. Thanks for your feedback and support. We really appreciate it. You can find out more about NARI at designsafe-ci.org, on Facebook at Design Safe Radio, or on Twitter at NARI Design Safe. <laughs>